under all his tattoos. Man looking restless in a pinstripe suit, and a girl who keeps checking out her Italian shoes. All right, folks, we are back. That is Angela Saney singing live here in studio right beside me. Tim Rimel is our next guest. He is the author of Rethinking Everything When Faith and Reality Don't Make Sense. In addition to nearly 25 years of leadership in evangelical Christian church and uh, parachurch organizations, Tim Rimel is a survivor and former leader of conversion therapy, the attempt to change someone's sexual orientation from gay to straight. He's the author of Going Gay, My Journey from Evangelical Christian Minister to Self-Acceptance, Love, Life, and Meaning. And now he's written a book entitled Rethinking Everything When Faith and Reality uh, Don't Make Sense. So happy, very happy to have Tim on the show, and I'm, I'm thankful uh, that we were finally to connect. Tim, I can't believe it's taken this long to actually get you on the show. Maybe when you were part of that whole, um, I don't know, am I cheeky for saying this? Pray the gay away. Maybe I didn't want to have you on the show then. What do you think? Well, it, it oversimplified. There are three different versions of what we call ex-gay ministry, which is either ex-gay, which is more of a ministry type of thing. There is conversion therapy, and and then there's just the um, the psychotherapy, or you know, where they they try to put you in a chair and they tell you that um, they can fix you because of your bad parent or bad relationship with your mother and father. Right. So there's different versions of that. And so what we when I was in it, it was called ex-gay ministry, and so that was back in 1990, and I was with the an organization which ended up being the largest and most, you know, the oldest uh, renowned XK organization in the world. And so I didn't know any of those things going into it. All I knew was that these people believed the same way that I did theologically, that I was gay. I didn't want to be gay. They knew how to fix this thing. And so I signed up and I put myself in it when I was 24 years old. So it's, it's very different than taking a child who's 12, 13, 14, 15 and sending them off to some kind of a gay camp somewhere. So it's a little bit different. Okay, so you, I'm so sorry, because there's so much more to this book than just the whole gay side of things. Wow, that was really well said. Um, right, I mean, there's it, there's so much more to this, but I've got, I want to just dive dive into the you know, your journey first, Tim, because obviously that's a big part of your story. Well, it is your story. So married, kids, the whole thing, how did the sort of, okay, I'm not going to be married anymore, and, and I don't know, uh, how did you actually come out officially? Does that make any sense? <laughs> it does make sense. And the journey towards this is a little bit convoluted because when I went into conversion therapy or ex-gay ministry, I fully believed that God had changed me. You know, I spent a year in the residential program and I was with 12 guys. So you have 12 gay guys in a house, which sounds like a terrible idea. But <laughs> we it were sounds there. like the start to a joke. <laughs> yeah, so there's 12 gay guys in a house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were there to get fixed. We were there to submit to God. We were there to do what God's will was and what we believe theologically to be for our lives. And so when you're in that kind of a situation where you've got all of the support around you, you really take on the, I hate to say image, but you, you take on uh, the, the the theology, the beliefs of that ministry. And so you start to believe that this is it. This is the true thing. So, you know, one thing is when you come into a ministry like that after you've lived a life of whatever it was. For me, it was pornography because I was a, you know, I was a, a kid growing up in church, so I wouldn't actually do anything beyond that. 
Um, but that was taken away. So for the next four or five months, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm not as, as attracted to guys. And what I didn't know what I was doing back then was just suppressing my sexuality altogether. So by the time I left that ministry at the end of the year, I really felt and believed that God had changed me. Six months after that, I went to the director of the ministry, and I said, I would like to go back into ministry, because I'd, I'd been there for, you know, almost 10, I'd been in ministry for almost 10 years at that point. And he said, great, we have a lot of things going on. We need somebody who can direct the outreaches. And I said, I have some ideas for the, the things that we do with churches. Um, but it was at a time when politically, we were really attaching to, or, or politics perhaps was attaching to us, because there was that message of whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And then they could point to ex-gay ministries like Love in Action or the umbrella organization Exodus International and say, look, here's these people that are actually changing, and all you need to do is submit your life to Christ. So you just need to come to Jesus and everything will be okay. So that was the environment in which I had grown up, and it was just the culmination of coming out of the Pentecostal faith, the Jesus movement, and then entering into this political side of things that, that from my perspective, I didn't know was happening. I didn't realize that, that I didn't realize what was happening in Washington and with focus on the family and all of these groups that were becoming very political. So for us, it was a natural move. Um, but what that meant was that by 1991, 92, we were all over the place. We were on Oprah Winfrey. We were on Sally Jesse Raphael. We were on uh, – Jerry Springer, so all of these shows, ABC News Tonight, that were doing these exposés on Love and Action and on the ministry, and so I was swept up as a part of that, traveling the country, doing radio shows, uh, television, all of these things that we were doing because we believed the message that we were preaching, which was, there is freedom from homosexuality through Jesus Christ. As a part of that, I met somebody, and I got married, and we were living in Memphis at that time because we moved the, the ministry from liberal California to the more conservative Memphis, Tennessee, and we got married. Uh, we eventually had two children, and it wasn't my decision to divorce. And I will say that it was, it was a rocky marriage. It was, it was terrible from the start, but because of my faith, I said, no matter what happens, I'm committed, I'm a killer, but I'm not going to divorce her. <laughs> so we kind of ended up in this place where we, you know, she got pregnant um, with our first daughter, which was an amazing experience, but things just continued to progress downward. And about six and a half years into the marriage, she had met someone and she said, I want a divorce. And that was what started this process for me. Of, this can't be right. I, you know, I've struggled with homosexuality. I've submitted that to God. I believed, even though my body was telling me something completely different, I believed that God had delivered me. But now to, to struggle with homosexuality in the evangelical church and go through a divorce was just too much. So it was after she left the next six years, I spent virtually in isolation. I found a secular job. I was going back and forth to work, but it was during those six years where I started to rethink what really is true, and is, is God even real, and why have I committed so much of my life at this point to something that just has not worked out for me, huh. and where do I go from here? <clears throat> so even from that point, it was a very slow process before I came out, and my ex-wife actually moved back in with me for a few years um, while she was trying to get her finances together, and so we became friends over that period of time. And that was when I slowly started to come out and test the waters and rethink is, is what I believe really true. And the thing about being homeless, you know, when you're a gay kid growing up in the evangelical church, and I heard uh, Kate Bowler, your previous guest say this, is that you become a theological problem. Mm. And it's one thing to be sick when you can possibly get well from that theological problem. But when you're gay, you are the problem. And there is no way to separate the sin 
from the person. We, we are, we're sin because we simply exist. And so growing up with that, under that impression is that everything about your life is sinful, even though, you, you know, you're, you're trying to make this break or, or separate things mentally, but the reality is you're a gay person in an evangelical church, and from everything you're hearing, from everything you understand about the Bible, from all of your theology, in my case, nearly 25 years of ministry, I'd studied it, I knew what it said, and yet there was no reprieve, there was no way out for me. Okay, um, Tim... I if I find it very hard to believe that there are still full-on denominations. Like, I know there's people that think this, but full-on denominations, large groups of people that still will say to you, um, you're just being rebellious. You're, you're, you know what I mean? This whole, you know where I'm going with this conversation. For me to even verbalize this, I'm getting like a little mini vomit in the back of my throat here. You know, you... Um, you, you've, you're just, it's sin, and it's a choice, and you're choosing, and you're justifying, and you're rationalizing, and you just want to do what you want to do. And so you're you're taking right, scripture, right. and you're investigating it in different ways, and finding theologians to agree with your point of view, just so you can go out and have sex with guys. Right, and I've, and I've heard that. And what I find so ironic about that is uh, there are a lot of pastors having sex with guys who still believe the same theology that I used to. The difference is that... I, I went searching for the truth. I went searching for an answer that, that not gave me permission, but that justified why I wasn't trying to fall in love with, with somebody who was of the same sex. And it, it didn't, it, it stopped making sense. And I think part of it for me was when I went back to school and I got into graduate school and I started studying about belief and I started understanding how the human brain works and, and how we think and how we can perceive something based on what we believe. It's not the other way around. You know, we, we think that we perceive it and then we believe it. But, you know, the truth is we, we so believe something to be true that we start to justify it because we see things that will justify our position. Right. So whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whatever your beliefs happen to be are the things that you perceive to, to support those beliefs. So I saw this repeatedly, and when I wrote Going Gay, I wrote that in a way to say to people who were in the same situation that this is what I went through, and I tried to describe it at each segment. So somebody, I did an interview at one point, and somebody said, yeah, I read your book. It's very judgmental. And I said, I said that was my point, is that I wanted to say, you know, even though I was the gay person coming out, I remember walking into a gay bar for the first time, and I don't drink, by the way, so that was, I had nothing to do. But I walked into so a gay bar. For the, <laughs> I had nothing to do. sitting there looking, just waiting for something to happen. Um, but I walked into this gay bar, and I remember seeing these very effeminate guys and thinking, I want nothing to do with this. That's, you know, gender for me was, was always really well-defined as an evangelical. Men were men. Women were women. There was no crossing of the line. Um, so it took me a while to realize that, you know, how biology works, how we are who we are, that... Um, and we, we don't fall neatly in gender lines. We don't fall neatly in sexuality. So, but understanding that as an evangelical was impossible. I had to step away from that and start to look at things more realistically. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, are you kidding me? Uh, Tim Rommel, he's the author of Rethinking Everything When Faith and Reality Don't Make Sense. Uh, the website for uh, him is timrymel.com, R-Y-M-E-L, timrymel.com. Uh, if you want to pre-order this book, rethinkingeverythingbook.com, rethinkingeverythingbook.com is where you go. Uh, Tim, when's it coming out, so to speak? So it is, it's coming out in October. So October 2018, we have the book out. So we're just preparing 
now trying to you know get the buzz out, let people know. So, but I want to say this about this book is that it's not. Yeah, going, hold on. I want to say this before you say this because I think okay, I know what you're going to say. So I want to say it first. Um, this book is so not all about what we just talked about. It's, it is about, I think, if I get this right, more about um, how American evangelical Christianity is this, well, first of all, a uniquely American phenomena, which also played a role in, I mean, a huge role. Just where you grew up played a huge role in your journey. Obviously, it yeah. does with everybody. But American evangelical Christianity, especially in the, in the I think, did you not grow up like Pentecostal? Yes. I did. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that throws another whole wrench into the into the um, doctrinal theological workings of who am I, what am I kind of stuff. Um, so if you had, I wonder if you had grown up in Canada, if there would be a different, what do you think, Tim? No, the other Tim, sorry, Tim, my Tim. Uh, <laughs> Tim, my Tim, Captain, my Captain. Right. I'm your assistant. I belong to you. you know <laughs> it's been a great day for me today. <laughs> uh, what are you changing into? Um so yeah, what do you, what do you uh, think? You know, I, it, uh, prejudice. I don't think is um, it doesn't change with what country you are in. Um, I but, think but Canadians. You, but, we, I but think, hold on, Americans wrap their Bible, uh, wrap their their flag in their Bible, wrap their yes, Bible in their flag, yeah. whatever. So we're not as we're not like that though. But, but what I'm saying is 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 whether we were wrapping our Bible in our flag or anything like if you're if you're anti-gay as as a Christian, you're anti-gay. Um, there may be a smaller group of them. Maybe Canadians are a little more liberal, small L. I don't know. But to me, um, I have enough friends and former friends and grew up myself this way that if you're uh, homophobic, you are homophobic. And it doesn't matter if you're from you know France or Germany or Canada or China. Um, and often the Bible is used as a, or, you know, any sort of religious book, you know. The, yeah. The Quran, you know, the Upanishads, uh, whatever it may be, the Old Testament, um, it's always used as an excuse to bring other people down, which is which is kind of pathetic, and I don't think that changes with, with countries. I think it's attached to religions more than, than countries. Tim Rammel? So, well, first of all, I would like to say that, yes, I would love to can- come to Canada, as would a number of us at this point in time, so thank you for the invitation. <laughs> we we, we, we want to tell you about Chantel yeah. Delos right our, now. She's an lawyer. immigration lawyer, and she's fantastic. <laughs> Secondly, let me say this, that what he said is true, is that prejudice definitely comes from within us. It doesn't necessarily need a theological bent, although that is often used to justify it. But, you know, something bigger than that, and I want to say, what I was going to say is that when I finished going gay, I started talking to a lot of families, and it wasn't just the person who was gay that was having an issue, but I had parents that were saying, you know what, I was put up with this position, this, in this place where I had to decide, am I going to choose my church or am I going to choose my child? I had wives saying to me, when my husband came out, I was blamed. It was my fault. I started running into other people who said, when I went through a divorce, I was suddenly ostracized from this church, and I don't, I don't know what to do at this point. So when I wrote Rethinking Everything, it was really a, a culmination of a lot of people saying a lot of things. And I, so I wanted to write down really what I went through. And it wasn't the fact that I was gay that caused me to rethink what I believed. It was the fact that I went through a divorce and I could no longer fit neatly in the church to which I had belonged for many, many, many years. So, so, I, so I, what it is, what I tried to do with rethinking everything was to go through this process of saying, you know what, you're not alone. You're not the only one who's had to rethink your faith and what it is. And then I spent a, a, a portion of the book where 
I went back in history. I looked at archaeology. I looked at where did religion come from? How did we get to this place in evangelical Christianity? And then how did evangelical Christianity become so intertwined in Republican politics? And I wanted to set the stage to say, you're really not crazy. This really is not the original Christianity that it was, because as you stated, American Christianity is unique. It's its own thing. It's, an, it's its own entity. And we have a segment of that population. I believe the, the number from Pew Research is 25.4% of evangelicals in a nation, and yet evangelical Christianity, those in the, in the higher echelon of politics, are the ones making laws, laws introduced to, that were um, religious freedom laws. So the question is not only, you know, what do I do with my faith that's not fitting in, but now I'm in a country where laws are being made against, that are discriminating against, against certain people based on how they are or who they are, and this is superseding what we call a democracy. So that, that's the kinds of things that I want to cover in the so book. So good, so good. Man, this is a... This... I'm dying for this stinking book. Yeah, man. sign me up for your book. I can't wait to read it. By the way, Angela Saini is sitting here beside me. She is a recording artist extraordinaire. We'll be performing the last uh, 30 minutes on our show. She was the one that introed your segment. Angela, you know, you're... <sighs> this is not going to be described well. But as far as the, all of the stuff and the jargon and the and the Jesus and God and the church and all the stuff we've been talking about, you're kind of an outsider to all this, are you not? Is this weird? Or? Yes, I apologize. I'm a bit of a mute so far, uh, just because I'm unfamiliar with some of the uh, but, the lingo. Right, but, but what is it? What is it? Is like if I was you, I would be sitting there going, "What? Wait, what? The, hold on." So if you are in a church and you say you're gay, you lose everything. Yeah, that's. Uh, I I don't envy that that position. If I if I could say something, um, Tim, non-assistant but assistant. Thank you. Other, Thank you. other okay, Tim. He's not my assistant. No, I'm just just so we in radio land, so people know who which Tim I'm talking about. I just had a bit of a counterpoint um, with the the Canada versus U.S. thing, just because um, again, someone who's coming from a non-religious uh, standpoint, I do think that Canada. Um, you know, we we would have a little bit if if you other Tim on the on the phone would have lived in Canada. I think you might have had a bit of a different experience. Um, experience. Maybe maybe not. Again, I can't t- speak to the the church aspect of it, but um, I do think that t- other Tim is very. <laughs> I get confusing really quick here. Um, he's he's right. I do think that Canada's small L liberal a lot more, um, and we also we aren't so right or wrong, black or white. Um, pick a side here in Canada. One, because I think in some ways we just don't, we're too polite, really, in some ways. And we're also very tolerant and we're very accepting of other cultures and et cetera. We don't have quite the melting pot, pick a side sort of mentality here in Canada. So I just think that, just to your point, I just wanted to say my little counterpoint there. I think there is a bit of a difference just uh, geographically, although I can't speak to um, you know, uh, someone who's anti-gay is anti-gay. I do think that, that there's some truth to that. I've yeah. met my own homophobic uh, friends and parents that I've met that are just, they are the way they are. You can't, yeah. you know, talk sense. They were born that way. They were, well, yeah, exactly. They were born that way. <laughs> nice. Tim, are you still there, by the way, buddy? I am I am still here, and I am listening. Okay. Um, what is wrong with your country? Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much time do we have? No, really. For, and, I, and, and, and I want you to hone in specifically on on the Jesus people in your country. And I know you can't. It's a broad brush, and you campaign them all, and blah blah blah. I get it. 
But is it because of this whole Bible wrapped in the flag thing? This is an entire show, but let me, I'm not even sure what year to start with. (laughs) Yeah. This, this, you know, if you look at the history of America, we were founded on not Christianity per se, but it was certainly very religious. The Puritans came over from England. They started this in this new country because things weren't going well in their own country with their new faith. And then evangelicalism showed up around the, you know, in 18th century, around the 1730s, 1730s, 1740s. So what happened was in the South is that it became very fundamentalist over time, although interesting to note here is that this idea of biblical inerrancy didn't happen until 1978. That's when they finally took a position on biblical inerrancy. And you'll also note that it was at that time that the moral majority was coming into fruition. They were supporting Ronald Reagan for president. So they needed to say, all right, if we're going to do all of this, let's just make sure that everybody's on the same page with the Bible, and we all know that it's inerrant and it is the official word of God. So even though there was a belief in fundamentalism, in literalism earlier than that, it wasn't official until that point when things started to become much more political. So there is definitely a history wherein much of the southern part of America was part of the fundamentalist evangelical movement from the earlier days of when it started in the 1800s or 1700s, 1800s, onto the the culmination of the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925 when they put a biologist who was teaching evolution, and then he was sued, saying, no, this is against the state, and he was found guilty of this. But what it did was differentiate it between the modernists, who went on to say that science and God are cohesive, we can put the two together, and then the fundamentalists who said, no, this is all, what this, this is the Word of God, this is what it says, this is what we believe. So you kind of see things happening between 1925 and the 1960s, when many of the Southerners moved into Southern California because, you know, some of this happened through uh, the Dust Bowl. Some of this happened just because economically there was no place to work. So they move into Southern California, and now you've got, at one point, one author said that there was a contingent of more Southerners in Southern California than there, there was in the state of Arkansas in the 1960s. And from this, you see the first megachurch develop in uh, Southern California. So now evangelicals are coming together. They're becoming more political. They're becoming more vocal. They supported Ronald Reagan when he was governor in the 60s. And then by the 70s, there was another contingent where now they started to pull together, but not because of the abortion issue, which is what most people believe. They pulled together because Jimmy Carter said, I'm going to stop federal funding to your schools if you don't desegregate. And they didn't want to do that. So... If you notice that this whole abortion issue didn't become an issue until 1979, which was six years after the Roe v. Wade trial. So there's an entire history of what pulled them together and what became of the evangelical party. And it's interesting, I was out to dinner with my parents last night who are very old, very old-fashioned evangelical, raised me in the Pentecostal faith. And... And they, you know, their disdain for Donald Trump and the things that have happened was not the faith they raised me in. This, this is not the, what they raised us to believe. We're about love and about, you know, loving people and being kind. So, to, you know, to see my mom's face when, when this topic comes up is kind of funny to me because she's also so unaware of how all of this worked together and, and how we were led from the 70s to where we are in 2018 to see, to see how all of this happened. And it just it's happened so slowly. And so many people acquiesce to letting these things happen without really stepping in and stopping them that here we are today, and what we have is the culmination of, of the evangelical God in Donald Trump. Really? That's going to be your hit it and quit point right there? Jumping. Holy cow. Okay. Uh, Tim, is there a God? 
Well, is there a God? So that's a question that can't be answered. Nobody can answer that question. And the Thank question you. is not, is there a God? The question is, does God exist the way I believe him to exist? Thank you. You're so, we got to hang out more. Would you just move up here? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah sure. Yeah. 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 Because I, I, these days I just, people, it gets annoying, but especially to people who listen to the show all the time, because they say the same thing. Um, I'm a red letter agnostic theist. So just to freak people's brains out. By the way, Angela, how do you feel about that phrase, not knowing what the heck I'm talking about? I was hoping you were going to describe what that means. Okay, so red letters means uh, when Jesus apparently spoke in the Bible, there are some Bibles that whenever Jesus spoke, it was written in red. Okay. So red letters mm -hmm. means that if if there was a Jesus and Jesus said that stuff, man, that's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, agnostic, I don't know. I don't know. Not an atheist. I don't get the certainty on either side. I really don't. Right. Uh, and then theist, I, I mean, I look at the world and I, it reeks of design and, and purpose and meaning and more, more than, than physicality, more than what we can see. And, you know, um, so I, I just, I think, I think it reeks of a creator, you know? Uh, so that's where I stand. Hmm. And Tim, you know, your journey, I, I guess I'm, I, I don't know if I should, well, I'm going to ask you it anyway. Why did you not just throw the proverbial baby out with the with the bathwater? Why did you not just say, forget it. I have had enough of all religious stuff. I don't believe in this garbage anymore. <laughs> That's a great question. Let me tell you what happened was when Going Gay came out, I was in an interview with our local NPR station. And one of the questions she asked me during that, that interview was, did you at any point when you were in the ministry say, oh, no, I really am gay? And I remember sitting in that booth and I was much more raw when this book came out than I thought I was. I thought I was ready to talk about it, but I wasn't back then. And I went into a tailspin, and I, I left that interview. And, and the answer I gave her was, no, of course I didn't say that, because the Bible had to be true. Yeah. Yep. The tailspin that I went into sent me, I, I mean, I, I spiraled. I spiraled into this deep depression, and I realized that was, the, th that was the issue right there, is that I was raised to believe that the Bible was absolute authoritative truth, that it was inerrant, that it was the Word of God, and because it said this thing about gay people, there was something wrong with me, and I had to fix me, and everything that I was doing could not fix me. And so I, I, I literally crossed this line between insanity and sanity, and, and I didn't know what was what. I was suicidal. I, you know, suddenly I was divorced now with two small children, trying to figure out how to be a single dad, on the verge, constant verge of suicide. And that's what finally said, something, something's got to give, something's got to break. But, you know, look, at this point, I'm almost 40 years old, and I've spent my entire life in this movement that I so strongly believed in. I believed that I had such an incredible relationship with God. I was, you know, I'm, I'm a musician, so worship for me was always intense, and, it, and it's Pentecostal, so it was, it was deep. Um, so I, I couldn't let that go. You know, even to this day, I, you know, when I do music, I play gospel music because that's all I know. It's all I've ever played. Um, so it's something that's so deeply intense that it was impossible for me to throw that out and say none of this is existent. I did go through a period of time when I was just angry and just kind of let it go, but I, I had to go back in and find out, am I wrong? What am I missing? How, how, how can I be living this life where there's this duality inside of me where one part of me believes in God and has all of this faith, and the other side of me that is so sinful and wrong and gay and I'm attracted to the same sex? One thing I could to stop that, and yet it's still there. And, you know, similar to the, talking to the, the host or the, your guest earlier is that, you know, we, we get emails. We get people who say, well, you know, you just didn't do this. Yeah. You didn't do this the right way. You didn't read it the right way. You didn't have the right relationship. You're either too intellectual or you're not intellectual enough. I mean, it's, 
it, it's a constant moving moving of the goalpost. And so for me, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go in. I'm going to find this out. And I started doing research. And I finally stepped outside the box of evangelical apologetics. And I started saying, seeing what do other people have to say? Where else can this possibly go? And that's when a whole world opened up in front of me. So, And I tried, again, to capture that and put that in the book and say, here's why fundamentalism could never work as an educator and as somebody who's who studied religion, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it just it's impossible for it to work the way that we believe God works. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about uh, just before we say goodbye here, Tim. Well, it's not a, it's not a I, I want to talk about. It. It's just a it's kind of an awkwardly direct question, which apparently I'm quite gifted at today. Um, how are you? Like, just how are you today? How are you doing, man? Because your journey is just, you know, you're you were probably seconds away from from like just i don't know a breakdown or you know signing off and checking yourself into some i don't know you know what i mean i mean it's the hell that you've been through emotionally mentally spiritually and everything else you want to put in there how the heck are you right now today these days well, I have a really great therapist for one, but uh, you know, I'm I'm doing amazing. I'm, I'm married. Uh, I'm married to a man. We've been married now for what about a year and a half, I think, but together for almost nine years. Um, so, you know, my kids are doing amazing. My daughter is in a freshman in college. My other daughter is a junior in high school. Their mom lives about a mile and a half away from me, so we stay close. So we, you know, have a very close family and. Uh, I'm doing very well at this point. <laughs> it took a long time to get things sorted out, but it is kind of funny because people will read the Going Gay book, and then I'll get those email messages too saying, are you okay? Um, you know, it's turned out just fine. Everything has turned out fine, but it, it is a journey, and that's a journey that I really hope that other people don't have to go through, that we can have a conversation about religion in America and conversion therapy and look at the facts and look at the, the emotions behind what this phenomena is and, and deal with it and talk about it. What a pleasure to have you. By the way, how did you find out about us? Um, I find out about you by doing a, a research on who's talking about spirituality and religion. Oh, well, thank you for finding finding us. Yeah. Um, Great show, by the way. I've been listening. Oh, it's an amazing show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. Tim, thank you for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate take, it. Take care. Bye-bye. Tim Rimel, timrimel.com, R-Y-M-E-L, timrimel.com. Of course, if you want to pre-order his book... It's coming out in a few months. RethinkingEverythingBook.com. RethinkingEverythingBook.com.